No, seriously, it's, it's such an honor to be here and to be speaking before you guys as like the first therapist to speak to you guys for New Life, which is crazy. Like we've definitely come a long way, right? Um, and I, I just feel like this is such a full circle moment for me because actually I grew up at this church. I went to New Life or Hyungjae um, and I attended this church since I was in middle school. And I was very involved. I was actually, if you know Pastor Clara, I was an intern under her. And that's actually where my heart for ministry grew. And I went to Fuller Seminary, just like Eric and Clara. And literally, like, I think it was like eight months in, I was like, oh, I don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> this is not for me. But what ended up happening was through that school, ultimately, I found out about the MFT program. And I was like, wow, like, this is, what is this? Like, I was so intrigued by it. And I fell into it. I loved it, and here I am speaking before you as a therapist. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think it is really cool that mental health has become such a normalized thing. Like Eric mentioned that you know, culturally, we've really changed over time. Even for us Asian Americans, we would never go to therapy, but we are going. We're seeking it. We're open to it. Um, but I still feel like there's still some mis misconceptions when it comes to mental health. And some of those misconceptions are, I still feel like people think that mental health looks like a certain way. Like you have to have a, like certain symptoms to be dealing with mental illness ultimately. Um, and for example, like depression, like the topic of today. Uh, a lot of times when we think of depression, we think of people feeling really sad all the time, having a looming like cloud over them and constantly, you know, ultimately not being able to take care of themselves and being able to not really fulfill obligations and whatnot. And yes, there's, that's one way depression can be shown, but actually there's plenty of people who are depressed but are high functioning, right? They're struggling with internal struggles or struggling with internally, and they're even having suicidal thoughts, but on the outside, they seem completely fine. This happens actually a lot within high-performing communities like the Asian Americans. We're very known to be high-performing, and we do this pretty well, as if you are struggling with, like, with depression, a lot of times we can be very fine on the outside, but really struggling on the inside. Um, but I want to be clear that mental health and mental illness doesn't look a specific way. Um, it's actually something that I think everybody, as long as you have a brain and body, it impacts you, too. I mean, in the same way that physical health, spiritual health is important for our holistic well-being, mental health is so important. It's a must when it comes to really finding health or a healthy, fulfilling life. So as I share upon you in my own story when it comes to depression, I won't actually talk specifically about depression, but I wanted to kind of look at actually what's happening underneath. I think of depression as simply like a symptom. It's kind of the response out of something we hold within, and I wanna call this pain, right? My hope is that ultimately what you take away from this sermon is a way that we can look at and hold space for pain in order for us then to be able to hold the space and pain for others. So as I talk about pain, what is pain, right? We think of pain, have you guys experienced pain, right? 
A lot of times when we think of pain, we think of physical pain. And let me tell you, after having two kids, man, there is no pain that's like childbirth, all right? Like, I mean, I'm not even, I don't want to say childbirth in and of itself, but it's like being pregnant and then postpartum after it, it is so bad. I look at my husband all the time like, you don't know pain. You don't know what pain is like. You get sick and you think you're in pain. No, that's, that's not pain. But a lot of time we think of physical pain, but there is then the emotional pain that all of us experience. Like when you're feeling disconnected and estranged from your family because you guys had a heated argument and it wasn't resolved. When you experience an unexpected loss, you lost someone you love due to maybe terminal illness. When there's something, when there's a sudden pandemic, when you're forced to isolate yourself from your community, your family, friends, and there's feelings of unsafetyness because there's this virus that's killing countless number of lives. When you're feeling completely paralyzed to make decisions because you're afraid that you'll get it wrong, you'll make the wrong one. When you're experiencing a big change in your life, like you're entering college or you're starting a new job, you're moving to a new city, and you're having a hard time adjusting. This is all places of pain. The honest truth is we're terrible in dealing with pain. The society in itself, we don't do well with pain. As a church, we don't do well with pain. Nobody likes pain. So naturally, we do whatever we can, anything in our control to try to avoid it, not feel it. So I'm going to actually look at a passage that's full of a lot of pain. <laughs> All right, so if you can with me, if you are able, can you stand for reading of God's word? We're going to look at specifically Psalms chapter 88. And I believe if I say at the end, this is the word of God, you guys respond with thanks be to God. Okay, perfect. Let's go. Oh, Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shawl. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes to you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of God. And I'll pray and I'll have you seated. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, and especially passages like this that help us to sit with difficult emotions because you not only welcome them, but are able to sit in them with us. Open our hearts, 
for you to speak in them, and may you use me and my story in a way for you to further connect with those who need it. May your truth be spoken today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can sit. Sit down. So when you first read this passage, I'm curious of what your initial response is. How do you respond to a person like this, right? Maybe some of you guys feel a little uncomfortable or a little tense. Maybe you guys don't feel anything at all. You feel maybe numb to the emotions that are kind of being expressed. If any of these are true, it's probably because this passage is full of pain and your body is naturally responding to it. The book of Psalm is, as many of you know, is a book of prayers and songs, lots of different kinds of emotions. And generally, the prayers and songs that we see, even if it's sad, there's usually like a sign of hope, praises to God, remembering God's promises. But I feel like what makes this passage unique is at least at first glance, there's no conclusion. There's no hope. It just kind of ends. There's no like line in there that says, but God is still good, right? But I noticed myself, I kept gravitating towards this passage because the more I sat with it, the more I was realizing how this man was sitting and processing his pain. And ultimately what I believe is what helped him to find healing eventually. I don't know, but I can only assume. So with using this passage, I do have three points, like any good sermon. And my, here's my three points. Number one, how we cope with pain. Number two, the root of our pain. And three, how we can heal pain. So number one, how we cope with pain. Or in other words, how we naturally respond to pain. When you think of the word cope, you don't necessarily think of it as a bad thing, right? Because, I mean, we have stressors all the time. There's like negative situations that we experience all the time. What we do is we cope. We try to get through it. We, we do it so that we're able to function and then fill the obligations that we need to, right? In this psalm, we don't know the full story other than the man that's singing the song is named Heman. That's all we really, really know, at least from this passage. We see a lot of sadness, still a lot of helplessness, and then we also notice the way I, at least for me, I notice also other ways that he's responding to his pain. And one is, well, I see some anger, possibly some blame. When he says in verse 6 and 8, you have put me in the depths of the pit. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. It's like he's blaming God for what he's experiencing, right? Maybe even sarcasm. He says in verse 10, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? It's like he's saying, God, are you just waiting for me to die? If I'm dead, am I going to be able to praise you? Like, what's going on? As well as a form of depression. Or, in other words, a way that he's shutting down and disconnecting. In verses 16 to 17, he says, Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. My companions have become darkness. It's kind of like he's saying, I'm okay. I'm done. It's over. Darkness is my friend now, right? Maybe I see the way that this man is responding in this ways because I might actually respond to pain in these ways. 
Now, according to the therapeutic model that I use, which is called restoration therapy, it says that human beings respond to pain mainly in four different ways. Blame, shame, control, escape. Blame, shame, control, escape. Now, I'm a parent, and so naturally when I think about really stressful situations, I actually think about parenting. So I know, no, you know not all of you guys have kids, but maybe you've worked with kids, and man, they're not easy to work with sometimes. Um, I hope you do when you go serve at, you know, <laughs> new life kids. Um, but as a typical neurotypical, like I have a three-year-old, so as a neurotypical, developmentally appropriate toddler would, she, when she gets a little hungry or tired, she has very big emotions, right? Like a typical scenario is, you know, Joey. She'll come up to me and she'll be like, Mommy, I need a glass of milk. I'm like, okay. As any typical parent would, I just grab the milk from the fridge, I grab another cup and whatever's nearest to me, and then I put it together and I'm about to give it to her. And then she looks at me like, no, 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 Mommy, no. And she just starts crying, melting. She throws herself to the ground. I mean, I've never seen such a dramatic, like, what? Like, you asked for milk. What the heck is going on, right? And it's all because I gave her the pink cup instead of the purple one that she actually really wanted. Now, as a typical, any typical human being would, I, res I can respond in one of four ways, okay? One is blame. You didn't tell me you wanted the pink, purple cup. You, you screaming is making it worse. Joey, do you need a timeout because you're being a bad girl? Right, blame. Number two, shame. Oh my gosh, I should have asked. I should have asked for what she wanted. Oh my God, why is my child like this? Is it because I'm a terrible parent? I must be a terrible parent because my child is obviously not typical, right? Number two, or three, control. Stop it, you're fine, you're, you're, you're okay, stop crying. If you keep crying, you're not gonna get milk anymore. Or another way to control is, okay, 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 you want, you want the purple, go, okay, let me get, oh, just stop crying, ah, right? And you get really anxious and then, you know, you do whatever you can to avoid that situation ever again, right? Control also can look like ways that you're fixing, you're problem solving, you're always trying to like please the other person, right? And the fourth way that I could respond is escape, or in other words, kind of shut down or disconnect. Forget it, all right, you're crying, whatever, you deal with that, I'm gonna leave, I'm just gonna go to the other room, I sit there, I like go on my phone, maybe I turn on the TV, I'm just gonna watch something, I'm gonna just like zone, like just, mute everything out, right? I'm disconnecting. A lot of times with disconnection or escape, you, that's where you also see a lot of addictions, substance use, right? A lot of times people are looking for something to feel something else outside of whatever that pain is or the reality is, right? This is also where you see a lot of depression. Depression is a symptom or a way of coping of just your body shutting down can't handle, it's, oh, everything's so overwhelming, so your body just says, I give up, it's just whatever. It's a way that we can cope. Blame, shame, control, escape. Let me be clear. Now, these are all very natural ways that a person copes. They're not necessarily bad to an extent, but they gives us temporary relief of pain. Our brain and body is created in a way to survive. So if you're experiencing any trauma or negative situations, your body's gonna do whatever it can to cope and function and survive, right? And these are the four ways a lot of times we do it. So at times, sure, these coping behaviors can be actually necessary to be able to get through, right? 
And sometimes we actually use, actually I would say most of the time we use all four. It's not just you use one or another person uses another. You a lot of times use four. It's like sometimes I, I blame and then I feel bad for the blame, so I shame and then I try to control the situation and if I can't control it, then I feel overwhelmed, then I escape, right? Or you find yourself doing combination of a lot of these things. Ultimately, what we'll notice of all of these coping and defensive mechanisms is that if you continue using it over time, it's actually gonna make you more disconnected and even deepen your pain. It doesn't actually help what's happening. When I respond to Joey in any of these ways, how do you think Joey would respond, right? Maybe she would feel that she's not safe to openly express her emotions. She's not allowed to. So she keeps these emotions to herself and maybe even learn to cope with it by blaming, shaming, controlling, escaping, which will ultimately cause us to be disconnected and she will learn to avoid her own pain because she doesn't know how to regulate it. Have you ever been in a relationship, right, where you notice yourself having a really hard time connecting with the person? You might not be necessarily fighting all the time or there's no necessary conflict, but you always feel like something's off, like you don't really feel connected you might find that you are both coping due to underlying emotions that are there that's causing the further disconnection. So what do we do about this? Can we change it? Can we do something? Well, to start off, rather than looking at simply the behaviors or those coping behaviors and try to change it from the outside, it's much more helpful to look at what's even driving us to do it in the first place and look on the inside. Which draws me to my second point is the root of pain or the root of our pain. Again, using restoration therapy, there's this understanding that we experience pain when our needs are not met. What are our greatest needs? From the moment that you are born into this world, you have two needs. One is to feel loved, and the second is to feel safe. When you feel loved, you feel special, important, valued, accepted, wanted, belonging, that you are enough, and all those good things that gives you a sense of identity. When you feel safe, you feel secure, things are predictable, reliable, consistent, and you fully trust the relationship and the environment that you're in. Now, in a perfect world, these needs would always be met, right? But we know very well our world is broken. We're broken. People are broken. We're not perfect. So these needs inevitably, be, inevitably become violated over and over and over again, which ends us up with emotional wounds, negative messages about ourselves and about our environment. When you look at Psalm, again, 88, Heman is clearly not feeling loved or safe. He says in verse 5, like those set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more for they are cut off from your hand. He feels like it's as if he's already dead because he feels so disconnected from God. He doesn't feel loved by God. In verse 14, when he says, oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He feels as though God has turned away from him, that he's rejected by him. Everyone he trusts 
has turned against him or are now gone. He has no one to feel safe or be comforted by. Feels unloved and feels unsafe. Naturally, this makes me think about a painful and dark moment in my own life. And the most painful, I've had many <laughs> painful moments in my life, but the most painful was actually when I was in college. And you know what's most ironic about it is in college, I was actually the most involved in church. On the outside, I was extroverted, happy-go-lucky, full of energy. I mean, you could probably feel that from me talking right now, right? But on the inside, I was so burnt out. I was emotionally unwell. I didn't like who I was. I didn't believe anyone truly loved me because I didn't believe anyone truly knew me or understood me. I felt so disconnected from myself and from everyone else, I felt hopeless. Throughout my life, my go-to ways of coping is controlling by pleasing people, doing things, and shutting down, disconnecting out of the feelings of shame. So if I can, I'm gonna rewind back a little bit of where this all began. As a second generation Korean American immigrant and as the oldest daughter in my family, there were a lot of expectations from me. As my parents worked hard to make ends meet, my dad was always out taking care of his business and my mom was always home taking care of me and my brother while barely speaking any English. Pretty typical immigrant story, right? At the age of six, my roles quickly became translator, mediator, caretaker, counselor, on top of being a daughter, sister, friend, and a student. My parents did the best they could with what they had, but they also couldn't fill all my needs. Not because they did anything wrong, per se, but because they just didn't know any better. Because my parents weren't always able to be there for me emotionally, I began to make sense out of it by believing that I was not good enough. This internalized message drove me to work harder, to do more, take on more roles, so that just maybe I would feel enough, so that my need would somehow be filled. But what I realized this hole that was there was only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like many Korean immigrants in the 80s and 90s, they looked, when they looked for a Korean community, they attended church. So my parents made sure we would attend a church. I quickly loved, actually, my church. I went to multiple growing up because I was filled with especially peers that looked just like me, especially as I was going to many white schools, schools I was just pretty much white, right? Church soon became a place of refuge for me, safety for me, until I found myself getting stuck in unhealthy and toxic relationships. I was so badly, I so badly wanted my unfilled need met by someone else that the more I felt not enough, the more I gave in to these relationships, which led me to feel further not good enough and left me with a lot of shame. With that shame, I would even attempt to make up for it by then continuing to attend church. Went to church every Sunday, I did all the Bible studies, I did all the church events, retreats, lock-ins, mission trips, whatever, you name it. I did it all, okay? And I served in every way I could, sacrificing my time, my health, like literally everything that I had. And I, this continued until I got to college. By college, I was probably some sort of leader in every single ministry you can name. There wasn't a single person that didn't know me in the church. 
right? And I was always met with so much praise. They're like, oh, Hannah, you're doing such a great job. Oh, my gosh, you're doing so much work. God is going to bless you in heaven, right? I would even have dads come up to me and be like, I want my daughter to just be like you. But what I continued to feel was not feeling fulfilled. I continued to not feel enough. I found myself spiraling where I would become numb and disconnected. I would continue to get involved in unhealthy relationships. And throughout the week, I would drink unhealthy amounts of alcohol to numb the feelings that I had. And then I would come Sunday up on stage doing praise for kids and seeing my youth group girls leading small group, right? Out of not feeling enough, I would get into unhealthy situations and unhealthy relationships. Out of not feeling good enough, I would be filled with so much guilt and shame. And out of feeling not good enough, I would do everything to serve God. Well, actually, ultimately, to serve the church, please other people. And I would repeat this cycle over and over and over again. I got to the point where my body was getting so exhausted that it literally started shutting down. I was so depressed. I had no motivation to live. I remember going to sleep at night and wishing I would just never wake up. I had constant suicidal thoughts. And what sucked even more was that nobody knew. No one had any idea. And I didn't feel like I was able to share it. It eventually actually took a trusted woman leader. And it was actually like when I was on my way to morning prayer, right? And I, I was late. I'm always late, right? So I was on my way to morning prayer, and there was a leader that came out and grabbed me. She was like, Hannah, I need to talk to you for a second. And she pulled me aside, and she was like, is something going on? Because what's strange is I had this dream about you, and you were in some sort of like mud or quicksand, and you just kept sinking. I saw you struggling and trying to get out, but you just kept sinking faster. I never felt so seen. When she told me about that dream, I, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm feeling. It resonated with me so much. And it was in that moment I realized, I'm not well. Something's wrong with me. Something's going on inside of me. I realized that the more I tried to control by pleasing others or doing whatever I thought would make myself good enough, the further I was falling into my pain and feeling ultimately never good enough. The more I tried to fix it, the heavier the pain felt. And it wasn't until I had to confront these negative messages and allow myself to create space to feel this pain so that I can understand it, process it, be aware of it. And yes, this actually happened a lot in the therapy room, as well as with trusted others that would hear me, listen to me. And it was around that time where I started then hearing a different message, which is the truth, which leads me to then my third point, how we can heal pain. Once we are able to understand the root of our pain and we're able to be aware of the underlying messages that we hear, we are able to create space for it, allow our pain to breathe, to be expressed, right? And once that space is created, we're able to accept that, well, this is our pain. And then create room for then what we would call truths, 
Truth is ultimately what allows you to feel loved and safe. Going back to Psalm 88, the more I was sitting with Heman's song, something I began to notice was Heman never denied who God is. Yes, he was sitting with a lot of emotions, but he never denied who he was or is. He would say things like, oh, Lord, God of my salvation. I mean, isn't that him saying, ultimately, God is the one who's going to save him? When he says, do you work wonders for the dead? He's saying that God can work wonders. When he says, do the departed rise up to praise you? Ultimately, isn't he saying that, God, you deserve praise? When he says, steadfast is your steadfast love declared in the grave? It is your faithfulness in Abaddon. Isn't he saying, ultimately, God, you are faithful and you have steadfast love? I might be pushing this a bit, okay? But you can't deny, he not once actually denied who God is. He knew the truth. I believe it was out of knowing the truths that he was actually able to fully express his pain to God. And once he's able to express it fully, then it creates room then to then experience truth too. After that leader confronted me, right, and helped me be aware of what was happening to me internally, um, I went through a lot of different emotions. I began sharing to her. She sat with me, listened. I felt really lost. I didn't know what to do. But I didn't do it alone. I still was struggling with depression, but I began to open up and share. People would check in on me, listen to me, sit with my pain. And then there was this one Sunday, right? where there was a group of leaders, and it was a whole bunch of, like, ajmas and, like, older woman leaders who just, like, kind of cornered me one Sunday. And then they were like, we, we want to pray for you. I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't need prayer right now. No, 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 just nah, let me go. I, could, I couldn't escape. They just literally cornered me. And they began to pray, and I remember hearing a voice, and it was so clear to me, even to this day. And I hear the voice, and she says, Hannah, Come, just come. I'm here, just come. I don't need anything else from you. I just want you. I knew at that moment it was not the leader that was speaking to me, but it was God using her to speak. It was probably one of the very few moments that I actually experienced the truth. But it was when I was able to actually face my pain, sit with it, create space for it, allow others to be a part of it, that I started hearing something different. The truth that I am enough. I want to mention that even till this day, I still struggle with depression, okay? Just because I experienced the truth once or twice doesn't mean that the pain has gone away. I know that as long as I am in this body, living in this world, I'm going to carry pain. That's all of us, right? And we're going to naturally cope the way we do. We can't help it, right? But what if just a few moments, just once in a while, right, 
we would just be able to stop for a sec, recognize what's happening, why am I doing what I'm doing, and make space and room for pain so that we can start hearing something different. Ultimately, the truths. It's, it's, this, it's the passage, right? Ephesians 4, where you're putting, on your, putting off your old self and putting on the new. This is like a, like a mindful like, thing we have to do constantly. We have to constantly remember, okay, there's these negative messages. I realize it's there. I have to put it off and hear something different, right? Now, therapy is not a place where your problems are going to be fixed, okay? It's a place that challenges you to face or confront your pain and a space to help you understand it create space for it, express it. We ultimately experience a lot of pain through relationships, right? Then it's relationships we're ultimately going to find healing. So what does this mean to the church? I believe that the church has far too many times avoided pain and far too long has simply coped with it. You know, when somebody's sharing something really tragic that happened in their life or what they're struggling with, you know, people will throw in a little bit of, oh, I'll pray for you, or throw in some Bible scripture and say, it's okay, you know, um, there's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. Yeah, how many times, I mean, I'm guilty of it, of doing it. How many of you guys have received that and did it actually help? Probably not, right? But what if we became a church rather than just throwing these things out there, hoping you'll land and like, oh, yeah, oh, well, I wish you all the best, right? But we would actually lean in. We would look at this pain and hear the pain of others and say, wow, that's really painful. Feel it with them. And then even ask, can you tell me more? Can you tell me more of how this feels? Is it okay for me to sit in this with you? There's this misconception that pain, the more you like, sit with it, the more that it's going to become more painful, and that's why we ultimately avoid it. But that's a lie. It's true if you do it alone, and you're just stuck in your own thoughts. But if you do it together, there might be some room to then hear something different. The, as a therapist, the most common question I always get is, how do you do what you do? Right? How do you sit with so many people's problems? Man, I can barely like, just talk to my friend today and hear what she's going through, and I just feel so drained by the end of the day. Right? I think I can do what I do because I know what it feels like. I've been through that pain. I felt it. I've sat with it. I processed it. I've done my own healing journey. I'm still in it. And because of what I've felt in the midst of it, the truths that ultimately I experienced, I'm able to do it for somebody else, create that space. Sorry, this is a little long, but I'm going back to then my example with my daughter, right? Um, one thing I've been learning to do with my daughter is like just actually, every time she has a meltdown, full on tantrum, mommy, no, I sit down and I just sit with her. I may do the occasional, like, okay, Joey, I see you're upset. Wow, this is really hard for you. Do you need a hug? Do you need anything from me? But usually, if she's not ready for it, I just sit with her. Just sit. 
and allow her to just scream it all out, cry it all out, however long it takes. And something that happened more recently, right, is she would get disappointed in moments that she starts feeling sad and she looks over at me and she's like, mommy, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad. She would start having some tears, just let it out, sit with it, and is able to quickly then get up and move on to the next activity, right? Something that also happened recently was I was in the car and my son, who's almost one, he was crying and screaming and I was panicking. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting anxious. So I'd be like, okay, what do I do? I, maybe we should stop the car. Maybe we need to feed him or whatever. And Joey, my three-year-old daughter, just sits and says, mommy, it's okay to be sad. Sean is really sad right now. It's okay. My three-year-old didn't even panic. I think the greatest way that we can create healing spaces for somebody, if we want to be a church that's creating a healing space for pain, then we need to welcome it. We need to welcome pain because we all carry it. We all have it. Learning how to hold our own pain allows us to then hold the pain of someone else. moment before I pray. Let's all pray. God, we thank you for being a God that welcomes our pain, a God that isn't afraid to sit with our pain because you've taken our pains to the cross so that our yoke, our burden may be light. You've done it. You sat with our pain. So God, thank you for loving us and showing us a way that we might also love ourselves and love the person right next to us. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.